I'm Rob Fain for Simi. Good morning. I hope you're doing well wherever I find you. Happy Friday. Ready for the weekend for those of us who uh, do the Monday to Friday thing. What is predictive processing and do self-fulfilling prophecies actually shape our reality? I know what you're thinking. Well, what are you talking about, Rob? To break this down, Dr. Andy Clark joins us, professor of cognitive philosophy at the University of Sussex and also the author of The Experience Machine, How Our Minds Predict and Shape Reality. Dr. Clark, good morning. Good morning. Well, let's get into this. I'm going to ask you the most basic and rudimentary of questions. What are we talking about when we're describing predictive processing? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, I'm I'm delighted to be here to uh, to talk about this. So you might think that because of that word prediction, it's all about staying ahead of the game, looking at the future. But a lot of it is about predicting the present. So it's about using what your brain already knows to improve what you currently see, hear, touch, and feel. And a kind of example that I like to give here is, think about being in the shower and hearing a song that you know playing on the radio versus a song that you don't know. The song that you know will sound really an awful lot clearer. You'll be able to spot the the, the lyrics and the spaces between the words. The unfamiliar song sounds so much worse. I think this is what good prediction does for our grip on reality. It kind of brings things into focus and it also puts what we know or what we're, sorry, what we're getting in from the world in terms of raw sensory signals in touch with what we already know about the world. And that's hugely important. Think about hearing the words in a language you know versus the words in a language you don't. So they're the two, they're the two big things, I think. It's kind of cleaning up a noisy sensory signal by using knowledge and it's put in that sensory signal in touch with what you know so that you can see what's important and what isn't. There's a little sideline here about efficiency as well, but mm. we can uh, we can perhaps leave that for later. Well, one of the things that I found interesting as I was starting to skate around this is the goals of, you know, trying to have predictive processing work for us as humans, because the main goal of a predictive brain, I would assume, is to help us stay alive. Mm -hmm. So when we're thinking of basic needs like food and water, I would assume we kind of branch out from that. But is that essentially the epicenter is something that helps us live? Yes, I think that's right. I mean, it's um, basically we, we, we predict that we will inhabit the kind of situations that enable us to be alive as the sort of organisms that we are, and we then preferentially act so as to find ourselves in those situations. So a lot of the predictions are inward looking, if you like, but everything that we see around us in the world is constantly in touch with those inward looking predictions. And I think this gives a sense of mattering and affect to our experiences of the world. I think what I, I all my roads in this conversation are going to eventually lead back to artificial intelligence, because right now we're talking about the human brain and we're talking about things that, you know, we're trying to do to survive and, and build and, and, you know, filter out things that we don't need and keep things that we do need. But when you yeah. think of artificial intelligence, how influential is this on the potential for that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, of course, you know, there's all the current ongoing fuss about chat GPT and so on. And those systems are predictive. But, of course, what they're predicting is basically bunches of text. So they learn how to predict the next word in sentences effectively. Um, that's very different, I think, to being a sort of prediction system which is controlling actions by making predictions about what sensory experiences you want to be um, getting next, in effect. 
So there's something very different about the way that these systems, which are studied in, in artificial intelligence as well, go about um, using prediction, if you like. There's something much more biologically realistic about what predictive processing systems do. And of course, that's cashed out because these systems have, um, or rather the elements of these systems have implementations in the brain. We kind of know how the brain sort of gets to do a lot of this stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, it's early days for artificial intelligence in some ways. My guess is that to get beyond the glass ceilings that we're currently seeing, um, we probably will need to do something a bit more biologically realistic, a bit more like the predictive processing uh, approaches. He is Dr. Andy Clark, Professor of Cognitive Philosophy at the University of Sussex. Uh, doctor, why should we focus on understanding this theory? And, and the reason that I ask that question is I think of things where this might be beneficial in everything from, you know, efforting towards a cure for Parkinson's or psychosis. I mean, there are obviously things there that this might actually benefit if we can unlock some doors. Yes, I think that's exactly right. So, the you know, the... A big attraction for me is that there's a whole new way here of approaching psychiatry, in effect, uh, a sort of subdiscipline now called computational psychiatry. Because one thing that the brain's doing all the time, according to these accounts, is estimating how much weight to put on the predictions versus the current sensory evidence. And if that weighting mechanism behaves differently or goes wrong, then of course, all kinds of things will, will follow. You know, it'll be the sort of brain equivalent of fake news. You'll be taking stuff very seriously mm. that you shouldn't be taking seriously um, and so on. So there are really exciting accounts of things like autism spectrum condition, which looks like it might involve putting a lot of weight on the sensory signal. So you have a kind of enhanced sensory signal and maybe a slightly dampened effect of some of the predictions. And this gets to grips with quite a lot of the, the, the profile there. So I think we may be heading towards something like a sort of periodic table of experiential variation where we can begin to sort of see how neurotypical and less neurotypical response kind of follows from differently adjusting the knobs and dials on a predictive processing system. I smell another book in your future, doctor. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. Well, I tell thank you for indulging this conversation with me more than anything. Thank you for the expertise on this. I, I do appreciate it. And hopefully we will get the chance to talk again. Well, thanks ever so much. It's been a pleasure talking. Thank you. He is Dr. Andy Clark, professor of cognitive philosophy at the University of Sussex, also author of The Experience Machine, How Our Minds Predict and Shape Reality. That to me is really engaging, just that final point there in the fact that we might be able to unlock some doors because I know that there's a lot of people out there with Parkinson's, uh, families all affected by that. What can we do here so that we're trying to find scientific evidence that can actually help push these things forward when it comes to their uh, pain reprocessing therapies and how we might actually be able to hack that predictive machinery? I think that's really cool. That's fun stuff.